three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Your lifelong Cav fan host, Bob, here on a day where we take on the Miami Heat, the first of two back-to-back matchups, one today, one on Friday. The Cavaliers with 15 games left, and we need every single win we can get to hold off the New York Knicks and retain home court advantage. Can we beat them without it? I believe so. But should we take that chance? No, the Cavs are decidedly better at home than they are on the road, 28-7 and at home, 13-19 and on the road, so we need these wins. Now, the Miami Heat, they're jostling for position in and of themselves. Right ahead of them in the sixth seed, a team that would line up to take on the 76ers, is the Brooklyn Nets. The Heat, if the season ended today, would face Boston in a first-round matchup. So the Heat, with a middle-of-the-road strength of schedule, 17th in the NBA, matchups on the horizon against several very difficult squads. The Cavaliers twice, the Knicks twice, the Sixers once, the Grizzlies once, the Nets once, the Mavericks once. Those are all ahead of Miami, but they want wins too. They would love to face Philadelphia, or so I was told by my next guest, who this segment I'm transitioning into, but I taped it before I did the intro. So, host of the Miami Heat Beat podcast, Giancarlo Navas. He has built quite an empire over there in Miami, a podcast feed full of diverse voices, not just one dickhead talking to a wall. But he agreed to join me today, so it could seem as if I have friends. We got a couple games coming up this week, and I wanted to talk to somebody who knew the plight of the Heat, where they sit, the things they like, the things they don't, because certainly there are things of concern to the Cavs. This week is the one of most concern, as the schedule is pretty light after we get through this week. So with the Heat on the horizon and with two teams that have had a lot of storylines intersect since the, the buyout of Kevin Love, I asked Giancarlo to join me today to discuss the Cavs and Heat. And thank you very much for joining me. Bob, absolutely. Anytime. Always glad to come on. And tons of history between these teams uh, on and off the court. So uh, excited to talk uh, about this upcoming matchup. But I think it's going to be really important for seeding. Not that Miami is going to catch Cleveland, but I think for all the teams around them, it is certainly they're in that that grouping of potential playoff opponents. I guess that's as good a place to start as any before we get into some of the more specifics is just the picture of the Eastern Conference as it sits now. Now, the Cavs come away with a very improbable victory against the Celtics. It wasn't improbable in the sense that they absolutely should have won that game, but the manner in which they did it was kind of ridiculous, which allowed them to hold on to this small lead they have in the four-seed spot, which would give them home court advantage. And for both of our teams, both the Heat and the Cavs seem to be considerably better at home than they are on the road. Uh, so so definitely a lot to play for, for the Cavs at least, to try to hold on to that. And while the odds look very long for the Heat to be able to do it, one of the things I wondered in coming up on this series is, who would you want to face in that upper portion if you could hand pick who your opponent would be? Bob, I've been pretty consistent about this. Even before I saw these teams play this season, it was Philadelphia for me because I think Miami has the formula and enough there. They're, they're, Miami's 
you know, Cooper Moorhead, who works with the Heat, had a really interesting stat about Miami that if you factor out the amount of turnovers that they force on teams uh, and you just like look at their man-to-man half-court defense and, and full-court defense, they are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. But because of the frequency at which they turn teams over, they're up to fifth uh, right behind Boston and Memphis. Philadelphia is a team that they could turn, turn over pretty pretty consistently and pretty easily. And they've shown even in leverage games um, that they've been able to do that against Embiid with kind of late help, some traps and very creative stuff that Eric Spolster does. My second team would be the Cavs. How dare you? And not, not because I don't think Cleveland's better than Miami, because I think Cleveland is better than Miami. But I think if you're Miami and you want to win a first round series, I think you need to bank on, okay, you know, a lot of these guys are a little bit inexperienced. You know, the, the Eric Spolster is obviously going to be, you know, he's one of the best coaches of all time. So maybe you can lean on that with some Cleveland inexperience. And Jimmy Butler has some natural kind of hunting points in, in Cleveland's pretty airtight defense because Donovan Mitchell has really competed and performed at that end this year. So you can't really even say that he's as weak a link as he's been. But there's kind of avenues that you can talk yourself into Miami can make it a fight. I wouldn't pick them against Cleveland, but they would certainly be my second choice only because Milwaukee is a matchup nightmare and, and you know, Boston is Boston's Boston. You know, I can't disagree with any of that. Obviously. I mean, the Cavs have had their moments in that heat game that they most recently played uh, where the heat beat them, where it's frustrating sometimes to look at what you guys are rolling out on the court, because I think in a lot of ways, <laughs> I and I'm, I don't mean that as slanderous. I think no, both I know of our exactly teams, how you mean it. And <laughs> trust me. I, I And we, we see it too. It's just frustrating to watch a team, which on paper you think you should be better than. And yet every time we play, it seems like it's a pretty tight game. And that leads into one of the changes in your roster since the buyout deadline. You guys recently added, Kevin Love after he was bought out from the Cavs and at least me just just to fill you in on my feelings at the time um I generally hate buying people out when you're trying to win I I I sat through it when it was Tristan Thompson and Andre Drummond even though just from uh whatever you want to call it uh carrying water for the billionaires out there or whatever you yeah. want to say. I don't love the idea of paying someone nearly his full salary that to to go ho- help another team win. And in this case, Kevin Love actually ends up making more money than he well, would have made. Compete, the teams that you're competing against. I know. Well that makes it even wilder. The idea that we bought out Kevin, who had been paid handsomely for four years and had Plenty of injury issues and dust ups along the way before what was a very good year last year. But then this year, you know, he had the hand injury in late November as his shooting numbers kind of just fell off a cliff. And when he got taken out of the rotation, my feeling was, okay, we're optimally healthy at this point. Not to say that we're a deep team necessarily, but everybody was basically healthy. And with Dean Wade there and Stevens there and some of these other guys, I supported the idea to take him out of the lineup. But then in very short order, he was asking out to be bought out and we honored it. And as fans, a lot of times we're told, well, you know, this is, this is, we're, we're treating him with courtesy. He did a lot for this organization. And there's a part of me that shudders when I hear that. Cause I think, well, you know, I thought the $30 million a year was, <laughs> was what we were doing for the guy. I don't think it's unreasonable for the team to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, Kevin, you're just, you're not in the rotation now, but guys go down all the time. And, you know, we don't want to give you up because we're already a a fairly shallow team. Now, this is horrible to say in some regards, because I know the high road would be to say that I want Kevin to succeed 
wherever he goes, but I don't necessarily feel that way. I don't have anything against Kevin, <laughs> but knowing that we may potentially face you, I've been watching uh, box score, watching, watching all the highlights, watching the condensed games on the heat, just to make sure that by the time we rolled around to these matchups, that I wouldn't be just kicking myself because Dean Wade, the guy who essentially is responsible for taking Kevin out of the rotation has been absolutely miserable for the last four games. Roughly. I believe he's one for 12. He hasn't scored a point in three straight games and his minutes have been just dwindling here. How have you felt about the Kevin love? I don't know if you want to call it an experiment, the Kevin love integration. And do you think it's something that will pay dividends as you head towards the playoffs? Bob, I want to say something. I absolutely agree with what you were talking about, about buyout guys. And I think it's a little complicated because I think we also know like how the business works with agents. And we know that front offices get bombarded with phone calls. If their guy's not playing enough and you know, blah, there's a politicking aspect to it. There's a human element aspect of like, Hey, you know, we kind of reasonably know that you're not going to play many minutes going forward. And probably it's the right human thing to do to give you an opportunity to 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 use the final remaining years of your career because you're not going to get another one to to do what you love. And I think that it's a tough balancing act because you're right; they did give them. You know, I I I'm on record, and I said on my podcast, and I said on Twitter, I'm like, you know, if he's going to go help a contender that I'm a little a, a, a not a contender, but uh, but an opponent that I'm a little scared of that could be my first round opponent. I don't think it's unreasonable for Cuban to say, Hey, Kevin, we love you and we appreciate everything you did, but you're getting paid a lot of money and you're just going to have to Kick fulfill the rocks. remainder of your, of your contract <laughs> and be here with us. I think it's the right thing by the player. And I think that helps them in the long term in terms of kind of perception with other players and stuff like that. But see, and that's um, a, that's a storyline. I'm curious when you say that I hear that a lot. Right. But I think there's a couple things that come to mind that I think are maybe different between Cleveland and Miami. That being who the fuck has ever come to Cleveland? I mean, I, I, I understand managing absolutely. the relationship with the agent, perhaps if you're worried that he has other people. Um, but I hear that a lot. And sometimes it's just frustrating because LeBron leaving was, uh, you know, devastating. But even Zadrunas Ilgoskis ending up in Miami, that one stung a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then this is a distant third. At some point, it's just it's one of those things where I think it's not just giving up Kevin. It's putting his interest before the team. When you're giving him to a competitor, you might see it's giving up a safety net if if a bunch of things go wrong. Because yeah. yes, he was playing horrible. It's giving up on any possibility that maybe the shooting was injury related and that he could have a return to useful form because with the Donovan Mitchell trade, I mean, they gave up Sexton, Lowry, Abaji, now Kevin Love gone. Those were three of their, you know, biggest, highest efficiency threats from outside the arc last year. And we've just been desperately swinging at the fences when it comes to, okay, we'll take Danny Green three games off an ACL. We'll, we'll sign Sam Merrill on a 10 day G league contract. It's not like we're exactly uh, a team full of snipers over here. I was a little bummed by it. I know I I'm with you, Bob, I'm with you. And I, I don't think, I think that a lot of people online were kind of overly critical of anybody who would agree with you, but I I'm with you. And I'm saying this as someone who is a beneficiary of it, but I can also say as you know, it might not be people leaving, but it might be people staying, Bob. It might be, you know, that might, if he's a popular guy in the locker oh, room, that might not yeah. sit well with some guys there. So they were put in a, they were put in a tough spot. I don't envy the front office. I, I like that way of viewing it. I like that way of framing it. Did you happen to see Jared Allen's comments when somebody asked him if uh, he had spoken to Kevin Love? 
before I, he... I think I did, but I believe it was something funny. I don't yeah. remember the exact quote. I what think, did he say? I think the quote was, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like, well, he just told me uh, he was going out for cigarettes and then he never came yes. back. <laughs> and he never came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, it seems like the guys are kind of taking it in stride. But uh, so how has he been as far as a fit goes? Because I was listening to your podcast, the Mammy Heat Beat podcast, and you guys were bringing up some interesting stats in regards to his impact both alongside Bam and when he was on the court without Bam. So one of the more interesting parts is that they haven't been successful together. Now he came in and started. So Miami, well-documented, did not have a power forward on the roster. Jimmy and Caleb Martin have been kind of splitting time at at the four spot. You know, they start Bam, Jimmy, Caleb, Tyler Hero, and either Gabe Vincent or Kyle Lowry, depending on who's healthy. Uh, And that's kind of been their starting unit, which has been very good. They're like plus a lot per 100 possessions there. It's been a successful starting lineup. But Caleb hasn't played as well as you'd like. And you could tell that they're missing that element of size, of kind of a pick and pop threat. They don't have a lot of that, that pump and go that Kevin gives. They just didn't have that. So inserting Kevin into the starting lineup, I think you can look at, okay, well, they have some holes defensively, you know, because I mean, hero plus Kevin in a pick and roll, probably not ideal. And it's something that, you know, you give teams an out to get Bam out of the play. Right. I think if you're if you're an opposing offense, I don't think you want Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler in your possession. And I think you have two easy kind of uh, outlets to to kind of try to score and, and create. But Kevin plus Bam in 112 minutes this season, they're about minus four and a half uh, net rating with a 109 offensive rating, which is incredibly subpar uh, and a 113 defensive rating, which is like pretty OK. And you look at opponents three point shooting, it's about 34 percent. I don't know how lucky that is. I don't know how luck-based because it's been such a small sample. But Kevin without Adebayo has been in 22 minutes, so incredibly small sample, uh, plus 41 net rating, 156, 157 offensive rating, 115 defensive rating. So it's a, it's a little strange how it's worked out. I think part of that is Zeller has been really good as well. And I think Kevin plus Zeller kind of, you know, I think that you get a little, you get two passing bigs who are kind of always in motion and moving and, and kind of, you know, screening and all that stuff. But it's a little strange how the offense has just been really bad when they're together. And I don't know what to, I don't know how much of that is noise. I don't know how much of that is that first quarter, that, that game against Milwaukee, where just, it was one of the worst games of the season. The numbers have not looked good. I do think that Caleb moving to a bench role, Caleb Martin has helped him tremendously. He had an incredible game last night. I just think that them having a real NBA power forward kind of aligns their minutes so that things make a little bit more sense. So while Kevin might not be the most productive guy, they just need a body that makes sense for better or for worse. That's kind of all they have. And I've been a fan. I think that, you know, they kind of need to tighten up some things defensively with him. Um, but I've liked, I've liked the minutes, even though they, they bowed uh, minus four. <laughs> I will gladly adopt those stats when I'm, getting to the end of the season and I got to somehow try to argue that that Bam doesn't deserve, you know, credit over over guys like Mobley or Allen, you know, those <laughs> yeah, for defensive player of the year. Yeah. I'm willing I'll take 22 possessions, whatever. Whatever numbers help to to Listen, skew we those. We need to up. band together on the anti-Jaren Jackson Jr. agenda. Oh, amen. Well, this I mean it's a it's a tough race this year when it comes to if Bam doesn't have, you know, the ability to be considered a forward. It's a it's a very difficult thing depending on who you speak to, but you look at the centers in the conversation for defensive player of the year, and you got Bam and Lopez and Claxton, and maybe, I mean, I think Jared Allen is pretty much Embiid. a long shot. Yeah, and Bede. 
I, I would be curious what your outlook is. Bob, it's kind of weird because like, you know, last year I was super, I mean, I, I thought Bam was a, the, the defensive player of the year. Um, and I think the year before that he had an argument, even though I probably would have picked Jimmy over him defensively the year prior. But this year, his uh, his defensive estimated plus minus just down almost two points, one of the lowest marks of his career. I think he's picked up a load on offense and he's played very well on offense. This is his best offensive season by far, not even close. And I think he slipped a little defensively. I think the team's defense, I mean, you see that they're fifth in defensive rating and, and it's a little bit of a farce. There's something, their defense doesn't have bite. That starts with him because he is the anchor to their defense. Part of that is they haven't had a four, as we just talked about. Part of that, you know, they used to call themselves the kennel, right? That was the, that was the nickname that they were given. And they don't call themselves that anymore, right? Like they, they don't even, they don't even view themselves as like these dogs, right? So even kind of divorced from the stats and like the vibes in the locker room, like ever since PJ left, they don't, they don't say that. They don't talk like that anymore. Bob, they used to be, Eric's poster teams are always one of the most high foul teams in the league. They're one of the, I think they're the, they're the least foul team or like one of the least foul teams. I haven't checked in a while. That's not physical Miami Heat basketball. They've gone away from that. And, and part of it has been the finesse of forcing turnovers. They've kind of made it work. Um, into a, a fifth place defensive rating that none of us believe is is the so, lot of that is that Butler and Oladipo you know jumping passing lanes and Bam was always excellent you know at, at getting his hands on balls deflections and steals and stuff I mean I see was, that they're still very good in drawing charges and turning over the opponent not as much as always though I mean they used to lap I don't even think they're first this year and they are always first they're always they always double second place so there is something missing I think. The turnovers, you're right. It's a lot of Jimmy and, and and Victor being very, very aggressive on the ball. They're they're kind of trapping more this year and they're kind of introducing these kind of kind of the big plays high or or you know, Caleb plays high. Also, like they, they're very small now. So, you know, they're doubling a lot. They're getting hands in the passing lanes. I thought Lowry was really, really good. He has very quick hands. He would always guard kind of bigger guys anyway. So I don't have him personally in in defensive player of the year contention. And I do think that. I mean, he has an argument for for second team. And I do think that when you're going to break it down, you know, probably Lopez is a little bit more deserving. Once you kind of go down, you're like, oh, Bam or Jared Allen or Bam or Mobley. That that gets very tricky. And I don't even know how to parse that because I almost feel bad rewarding this team for their defense, even though it's been good. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just no, I'm I disappointed, do. Bob. And listening to some of the pods. I mean, I was impressed with the... I don't know how to say this in a nice way. The the candor, <laughs> the lack of a sugar coating. <laughs> Who do you perceive as having a legitimate title shot in the East? Because I know conventional wisdom says the two teams that we keep Boston, hearing. Milwaukee. Boston, it, it, Milwaukee. That's that's how you feel. Do you is there tears for you beyond that? Is there a second class of teams who could be Eastern Conference finalists? I think obviously Philadelphia has like some amount of championship equity. And I don't think it's much more than Cleveland. And I really don't believe in the Sixers. I don't believe in their makeup. And I, I also, you know, for as much, for as great as Joel Embiid is, I think he skates a lot. And I think that it, it was always Harden's fault or Simmons' fault or Doc Rivers' fault or whoever the backup center's fault is. And I think he's a part of the problem with the way he turns the ball over, cannot take care of the ball. And I know last year, everybody's going to say he was hurt, the face injury, absolutely. Um, and then we have that Atlanta series. There's just too many times that he'll put up some numbers. And at the end of the day, he has like six turnovers and then nobody focuses on that. So that's their limiter for me. And if your best player is 
not able to take care of the ball and they're able to neutralize his offense late in, in, in leverage games. I just, I just can't believe in you in that way. And I, I, I know that doc rivers is a, is a historical coach, but I just don't think he's been very good the last few seasons, especially in the playoffs. And I think Cleveland probably has as much or more. I think they're a little young, so it's kind of difficult for me to like, say that they're above Philadelphia kind of in that, in that, second tier because it's just them two in the second tier right it'd be it'd be boston milwaukee right and then it'd be it'd be philadelphia i mean some people would argue the knicks based on how they've played since do you know so if you look at new york's lineup data it is actually in like it is it is crazy so with josh hart on the floor and i want you to tell me if this is sustainable they're they were they're like plus 25 they're plus 22 per 100 possessions in 256 minutes with Josh Hart on the floor and opponents are shooting 30% from three. That is not, I don't think that's real. I just don't. I don't and see they, how it's sustainable. I mean, I, I like 40%. a lot of those players, but I just don't see how their shooting is going to hold up. I do they're love Jalen Brunson. I think he's a fantastic steadying force, but I think it was well put by, I think it was Zach Lowe was talking about how just the idea of having to rely on running stuff through Randall late. I know he's been fantastic, but I would rather take my chances with that than, you know, have a team like Philly who can get to the foul line again and again because and beating hard and just get to do what they do. Uh, because Absolutely. because even I agree with you what you said about Embiid. There's been plenty of times over the course of his playoff history where I've questioned his late game decision making, the turnovers, trying to force things through him. But a lot of times that's offset for me by the fact that he gets rewarded so much despite his massive size and in initiating the contact with yes. trips to the free throw line. And that's tough to overcome. I mean, essentially he's, the he's Cavs center got Marcus smart. He's just doing Marcus smart on offense, like, yeah. you know, in terms of the flopping and the engaging in contact and stuff. And he's obviously like this tremendously talented player. He's very skilled. His jump shots, very good. He's obviously a very intelligent player as well, but, but that's when you know, want man. a player not to have to resort to that. Leave the selling for the people with less talent because he could do anything he wants to do. That's not a matchup I want to see just simply because I don't trust that we won't find ourselves on the wrong end of losing Allen or Mobley to fouls simply because he's so good at selling it. Um, One thing on Brunson, uh, because I I know you probably want to change off gears. He's he's not he's never been a a really good defensive player. And his his DPM this year is the lowest in his career. It's minus two point one. Brunson's also a career low at the rim, that 55% at, at the rim via dunks and threes. Their numbers, as I said earlier, that's when Josh Hart was just got there, which is really like the thing that kind of, and what Nick fans will really credit as kind of the spark, how he kind of, like how we hoped Kevin Love would be, kind of made their rotation make sense. You know, they were, they were as a team before Josh Hart got there, they were shooting 34%. And now, since he, now when Josh Hart's on the floor, they shoot 41%. And that's just such a big gap. And Josh Hart isn't that kind of shooter. I don't know how sustainable any of that is. None of it seems real to me. I'm just going to have a close eye on it. And I just don't trust those guys in the playoffs. Their offense is, is certainly a lot better. Um, I don't trust their defense, which is funny to say about a Tibbs team. Well, the most encouraging um, thing for me, I think, as a Cavs fan is Brunson has had plenty of success, obviously, this season. But when he's taken on the Cavs, he's been hampered by Isaac Okoro and what he's been doing. I mean, for a guy who's averaging, you know, 24 points on the season and shooting close to 50, 40 splits when he's taken on the Cavs, it's been a hell of a lot closer to 
18 points and 40-30 splits, you know, or 45-30 splits. So they're they're doing a good job taking him out of the game. It's just in this last game, I think Julius Randle hit eight three-pointers, and I would roll the dice on that not being sustainable over the course of a series, as opposed to you just don't know what you're going to get if you have to go up against a Harden and an Embiid. I, I like your shot against New York. I think Mitchell kind of creates a matchup problem for them that I don't know how many solutions they have for that. Cleveland's not as good an offensive rebounding team as I thought, by the way, because I know New York's like an eh rebounding team. I thought Cleveland with all the big bodies they play, but no, they're they're like they're like seventeenth in offensive rebounding, which I which which kind of surprised me. Well, we just don't miss. Maybe I don't know. I haven't looked into the numbers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're physical. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that that jumps out at you about Cleveland. That's that they're such a physical defense. Yeah, I, they definitely are. I think the the play of Mitchell, the play of Okoro, and even an, an increase in physicality from Mobley. He's still got a ways to go, but the difference between rookie year Mobley and sophomore year Mobley is you're seeing him be able to leverage his body a little bit more. And it just, it's that much more encouraging when you think about how much further he still has to go. There are times against the bigger centers where it's frustrating to see some of these guys bully, even a Jared Allen or a Mobley, when you know we have insane length. We don't necessarily have insane lower body holding power uh, from, (laughs) from either of those bigs. So my hope would be, selfishly, I want the Knicks just for the narrative and because I've heard so much Nick's love in the past two to two to three weeks that so sick of it, I think people are buying into this. And, and, and of course I'm typical fan who has a chip on his shoulder, who feels, you know, his team doesn't get enough respect. Uh, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that the Cavs are, they're a dominant home team. If they can avoid putting themselves in a situation where they're up against long odds on the road, I have a lot of confidence going into the postseason that, things will only get better and you'll get a little bit more consistent and even of an effort. I'm, that, I'm, that's a top five win for me. If I'm Miami, by the way, going into Cleveland and winning, not an easy place to play. Cleveland was playing really well. Yeah. They were, I, I mean, they, they were on a, a tear game and a half. Yeah. They were close in the standings at the time too. It was like, it was a real thing. Like could Miami catch Cleveland? And they went in that building after getting absolutely thumped in the first quarter. And it looked like, Oh my God, this is going to be a bloodbath. Like it was in November when Miami didn't have anybody healthy. And they turned it into a rock fight. And Jimmy Butler tends to win rock fights. Y'all took off right after that, though. I yeah. think you won like seven in a row. Or we had seven yeah. in a row. That was the that was a wake up call we needed. Um, but to have that big the the big Grizzlies performance, it was I, I would have loved to be able to throw the Heat one on the back of that. How do you see these next two playing out? Yeah, if I was a betting man, I would probably pick Cleveland to win both games. I just I'm not super encouraged by Miami's play. They they're up huge against Atlanta. Then the game comes down to the wire and then they get down by almost 20 points last night and they have to crawl their way back. Uh, Cooper Moore had tweeted out that the Heat are approaching the most games in NBA history decided by five points or less. Well, I yeah, I saw that away. your your sample of clutch games. I was looking at how you guys performed in the clutch and I want to say that you had won 26 games. You'd won more than anybody. Your win percentage wasn't the best. <laughs> That's but you all would, they play though, Bob. <laughs> I know. You were like 26 and 20, I think. To, so to have what, 46 games out of, what, 50 out of 66? Essentially, you know, two-thirds of your game come down to within five points there. That's pretty wild stat. I, I just, it's, they have the most clutch minutes in the league at 191, uh, 20 more than Dallas, so. So where do you think it ends up at the end of the year? You have a reasonably middle-of-the-road strength of schedule 
from here on out? Where do you think you land seed wise? I think they can get six. I, I haven't looked at Brooklyn's schedule. I think obviously like, so they lost the season series to Brooklyn, but you still have, I think one game left against them. You have two against the Knicks, which are huge. I think they need the Brooklyn game. I think they can, Bob, I think they are reasonably, they can get the six. There's no reason why Jimmy and Bam can't get the six. And I don't care how these undrafted guys that they have, those two guys are good enough to get you to six. Jimmy's having it quietly, like maybe a top four season for Jimmy Butler, which is absolutely insane. Well, if you take care of business against the Knicks, then I will talk to the Cavs and have them do their part against the Nets. We play them twice. All these guys, Kyle Lowry, that were good shooters last year are bad shooters now. And I have no, Tyler Hero is another guy. I have no reasonable explanation as to why that happened other than ah, undrafted guys sometimes fall back to earth and, you know, they're packing the pain and Hero's not very confident and Kyle's been hurt. But, you know, they're they're bad. Their offense is horrible. I can't believe this. They, they had their best shooting night of the season last night. That was the only time they shot over 50% from three all season in a league like this, where teams do that, you know, I don't know, once a month, you know what I mean? So, well, if you're playing the Cavs, you got a good chance to shoot over 50% from three. That seems to happen <laughs> far too regularly. Let's say this season ends without a title, uh, inexplicably for the Miami heat. I was looking at your cap sheet. Uh, you guys have a substantial amount of money on the books. <laughs> I was curious what would be your approach to taking a team, which it doesn't sound like you believe the title window is still open. What would you do heading into this summer? If this team does in fact fall short, Bob, that's a fantastic question. So they have their pick uh, for this upcoming draft, which is important. And to give your audience some context, I'm going to go through a couple of their transactions to kind of explain how they got here. So we can understand their pick situation. Cause I think that's going to play into this. After they went 30 and 11 in the famous Dion Waiters season where he crossed his arms as a buzzer beated the Warriors to death, um, they miss the playoffs by a game. They draft Bam. They give all these guys four year deals Olinick, Dion Waiters, James Johnson, Tyler Johnson. Eventually, they have to get off that money because Jimmy becomes available and they are too close to the hard cap. So, what they do is they trade Hassan Whiteside for Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless. They trade the season before Tyler Johnson for Ryan Anderson, which is a similar bad contract. Then they wave and stretch Anderson to shave off $5 million off their hard cap, off their salary. So they're, they can, they can get under the, the hard cap. And then they trade Mo Harkless and a first round pick to the Clippers to get off of that $10 million so that they can get just enough under the hard cap. And I'm talking, they were like a couple thousand dollars below the hard cap to fit Jimmy Butler in the sign and trade that triggered the hard cap. So they were in cap hell and they got Jimmy Butler because Andy Ellisberg is a magician and Philadelphia botched that so hard. So that first round pick with Mo Harkless, that first round pick got sent to the Oklahoma city thunder in the Paul George trade. So now the worst person on earth to own your pick, Sam Presti owns Miami's pick. That is the only pick that Miami owes looking forward. The problem is that that pick is protected. So that pick cannot convey. Therefore Miami cannot trade picks out because that pick is too protected so they cannot technically convey that a conditional pick. They can't trade a conditional pick. Could they and take the protections off in order to free something up this summer? Yeah. So that's where I was kind of getting at. It's unclear to me in the minimal reporting that I've done if it's they are too scared to unprotect that pick or if Sam Presti is being difficult about unprotecting that pick. Because I've kind of heard both, Bob. 
I've heard that Sam Presti is being annoying about him protecting that pick, that he wants too much to, 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 to do that when it really does him a favor, considering how this team waffles. And also the organ, and I've also heard that people in the building might be a little worried that they're a Jimmy Butler injury away from being really horrible. That being said, they do own their pick this year in a pretty good draft. They have, they're certainly going to be a tax team next year, which Mickey Harrison has kind of been averse to paying the luxury tax, unless that they're like a for sure contender. If they're well into the luxury tax and you head into the summer, is what you're telling me th- really the only way to substantially get any better is with that late first round pick and whatever exceptions that you may have that are usable? And, and that, that begs the question, Bob, do they feel like they're going to be good enough to justify a tax bill? And that answer might be no. And now we start talking about, are they going to trade their upcoming pick with Duncan Robinson to get under the tax? Because trading Duncan with the pick doesn't give you cap space. You'd have to get rid of Lowry and Duncan. And I even believe next season that does it. I think that creates less than $10 million of cap space you're better off operating as an over-the-cap team at that point. See, this parallels the Cavs so much in that way because there was so much discussion of, well, dump Love, dump Levert at the trade deadline. Well, I mean, neither of these guys are doing what we want. But the reality is it still wouldn't have got us any realistic cap space. It would have been barely over a mid-level contract which you know at that point you just use your 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 taxpayers mid-level right like yeah at that point it's like just keep the guy in the bird rights and take somebody who's making slightly less a year the dreams for Cavs fans are okay well we'll find a small forward and that'll complete our core and we'll skyrocket right to a championship but at best this summer even if they waived Levert they waived Osman you know they wave all the fringe guys Neto and when I say wave, I mean don't resign yeah, Neto, yeah, yeah. don't resign Lopez, uh, don't pick up your option on Lamar Stevens, who makes less than two million dollars a year. Let all those guys go. Take your roster down to seven people, and you have maybe twelve to eighteen million dollars to work with with seven guys on your roster. That's not a feasible plan to get any better. So essentially, you're kind of locked into this position that you're in. But the idea of having to pay to get off Duncan Robinson's contract and still not really c- create. Essentially, just create be a savings be for a, a, a billionaire. That would be not something I loved. Definitely it not would something be, I loved. Bob, the fan base has turned on this organization in a way that I never thought I'd see. And I think part of that is the Dolphins have been good for the first time in my lifetime, really. I mean, I'm, I was born in 92. This is the first time since Marino that the Dolphins have shown any kind of competency. You know that the Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since Dwayne Wade was drafted. My most fun fact. I mean, I did. Uh, I was aware. I grew up in Buffalo, so yeah, I mean, your team. So yeah, you you you, yeah. you know you know. So so uh, you know the fan base has has had other interests this year, and they've just turned on the organization for for not making a move this this summer. Last summer, I should say, they they literally didn't do anything. Gabe Vincent's a free agent. Max Ruse is a free agent. Omer Yurtseven's a free agent. Those are like the guys that like you thought might help you, and they've either not played because Yurtseven's been hurt all year, and Gabe and Max have all been like eh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to pay those guys to stay? Like, well, I feel your pain. We got exceptions and a couple second round picks. Second round picks have become cryptocurrency. They're only, they're only attractive because other people want them. Like, Jake Crowder went for five seconds and Sadiq Bay went, you know, it's like they're throwing second round picks like crazy around here. Yeah. Uh, it's, that, Miami, was, tri- that was insane. I mean, because you go from a summer in which people are speculating, we're a team with no first round picks to trade, thanks to the Donovan Mitchell trade. All the constructions were, oh, well, we've got a couple seconds. That wouldn't even get us 
a phone call answered this trade that deadline. Help, that helps you dump a small salary. I know. It was and, and to see even there was a lot of talk about, well, should we be in play for Josh Hart? Is there a Portland situation with, you know, using the expiring or, you know, using Levert's contract or maybe an Osman? And then you see what he brings back. And it's like, yeah, no, we would we had no chance there. As far as it related to Kevin, anything that kept him away from Philadelphia was a win for me because one of the things I liked about listening to your podcast are I like hearing biases, your teams that you dislike, your players that you dislike. I always enjoy those conversations because I, I know everybody has them. Not everybody expresses them. Where do you sit? You did not seem like somebody who loved Joel Embiid. Who are no. your least favorite players? I, you know, Embiid is a guy that I just, Embiid and Simmons and, and Bob, I, I think to understand the way Miami feels about them, the, the whole process was so opposite of how Miami, my, you know, Miami always, they'll, they'll chase an eight seed. You know what I mean? Like they'll always compete. Yeah. And what Philadelphia did was just so against everything the Heat stood for. So there was like a little fandom rivalry there. And then all the flopping about Embiid. And I think Simmons is just generally unesthetic, like to watch. Uh, Marcus Smart's another guy that, that he fans. Marcus Smart and Randall have kind of taken the ire of Heat fans. They just don't like them. They don't like watching them. They're a little annoyed by them. They don't think that those guys are as good as like their reputation would say. I'm right there with you on Embiid. For me, the guys would be this, and and this is my podcast listeners are like, we get it, Bob. Jesus Christ, let it go. <laughs> I want to hear this. Uh, I I don't love Joel Embiid. I I really don't like Jay Crowder. I I know he has a Heat history, but I was, very red. <laughs> I, I, I thought he's such a fake tough guy. Like they'd be like, oh, he's such a great defender. I'm like, he's six fouls and a bunch of mean mugging. He you can throw him out there and he'll foul LeBron into submission. But after he's years a little of, overrated of, on defense. of watching him, yeah. I well, and that's the other thing. Every time he would come up, well, you know, he's a proven winner. It's like, what about Jimmy Butler? What about Devin Booker? Can we stop giving him all the credit for the people around him who played a much bigger role in dragging those teams, you know, to finals appearances? But for some reason, that's just something that I'll have to listen to for the rest of time, despite the fact that he keeps ending up on teams like the Bucks, where they're going to succeed with or without him. And because they happen to just get a little bit further, I have to hear about how there's to see him get five second round, a little part inside me died because in a way I was like, well, he won in the end. The son of I love this. The son so of a bitch. You're Dray- right. Draymond is, is right there for me. Of course. I hate Marcus Morris. I another one of these front running assholes who when the like team's Marcus doing Morris. good. I'm with you. dude. Yeah. He fans of one arm. And I said, I don't want that black hole anywhere near my offense. Same. And seeing him struggle his ass off with the Clippers lately is just, it's so sweet because Beautiful. unfortunately it's not working out for me with the Crowder scenario right now as his team is just <laughs> barnstorming through the East, but I'm right there with you on Joel Embiid. Marcus smart. I hated, hated, hated him early. It's toned down a little bit for me because I don't think in, in recent matchups with the Cavs, maybe it's just because we don't have, you know, a physical wing like a LeBron and we get by more on finesse and, you know, quick release shots. So he's not able to do that salesy shit against us as much. Can I ask but, you a question about Marcus? Yeah. What depoy gets hunted other than Rudy Gobert? Because Marcus Smart was hunted by Jimmy Butler. And I just I just want to know what depoy gets hunted. That's all I'm asking, Bob. I'm just asking the questions out here. What depoys out here getting hunted? I Marcus Moore was hunted. I've always been kind of more favorable towards bigs because I just think there's something that happens with the people in front of them where if you truly have a dominant guy on the interior, 
it lifts people up in such a way that's so much greater than just somebody who's a great isolation defender who can shut off one player. Yeah, I mean, but Kawhi's got the size in the frame uh, more so than just being, you know, your thick guy like a like a Marcus Smart or a Kyle Lowry. But all that being said, I didn't think he was the defensive player of the year. Just like I don't think that a lot of those years, uh, Draymond will say that he is every year. It's like, all right, man. At some point when Steph Curry leaves, <laughs> you have to actually stay on the fucking court for me to actually give you all the credit in the world versus just... You know, that's a that's a good one. I, I'm a Dre guy, but I I get the I get the hate. Well, it's very hard in Cleveland to be a Dre guy after that. I, I know. Nope. Yeah, that's right. No. Nope. Yeah. I mean, uh, truthfully, that's he right. should be number one with a bullet, but they're just kind of like out of sight, out of mind for a little bit. I'm sure when the playoffs roll around, I will be absolutely raging, uh, depending on on who we match up with. But for me, it's the game last night to see Jalen Brown called for an illegal screen late in the game when it mattered. After watching years of watching guys shuffle, Kevin Garnett, Kendrick Perkins, setting those high screens where they were moving the whole fucking time. And the same thing happened with Golden State and Draymond Green. What am I even watching here? (laughs) So so people who are either able to A, get away with stuff that other people can't, or B, sell their way into whistles, Trey Young included. I can't stand those types of players. I'm Uh, not a Trey guy either. I, I don't like it. I don't. I'm so glad Miami exposed them in the playoffs. I don't because especially when you're on a team that for, for a guy as prolific as Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he really doesn't get to the line as much as you would think he does. We, we essentially get by on if those guys are thriving, if Garland and Mitchell are thriving from the mid-range shots. They rarely, if ever, uh, the Bulls would say otherwise, but they rarely, if ever, win games on the free throw line. For me to see those teams where I think, well, we would have been in that game if it weren't for this 275-pound man who falls down as if his shoes are made of bananas. You know, it, I can't I can't handle that. So I absolutely love it. I really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, I, and, I, and I thank you for that. We're, we're not for everybody. We're a little different, but thank you so much for the kind words. Well, very prolific. You guys get a lot of stuff up. You have a lot of different voices and viewpoints on. Um, and we have that, a fun crew. Yeah, I, I will say we have a fun group. That's something I've certainly enjoyed. And, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. I'm looking forward uh, to the matchup tonight, and I'm hopeful that uh, Dean Wade all of a sudden goes for 50 because it would go a long way. The only D Wade that's ever played in Cleveland, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I did hear that too. I did hear about your distaste for him not getting a Kobe contract at the end there. So uh, it's I, so it's I, I, I hate them for that. I listen. I understand. Braun left in the middle, so I was pretty much dead to it by the end when he left again. But if he had stayed that entire stretch instead of abandoning us for Miami there, then then I would have had a lot harder time. Because here's the other thing: uh, you're just getting the full laundry list of my hate. I, I love it. I moved to Los Angeles and I had to listen during the entirety of LeBron's, you know, young prime, all the people who were just diehard Kobe fans get super oh defensive about yeah. this threat to the, his perceived legacy. So for years, I'm just sports talk radio, the shows that I'm doing with, you know, Fox sports radio, all these people calling in and discrediting LeBron again and again, which as a Cavs fan was hard enough to begin with. But as somebody who hated the Laker fandom, for him to end up there and for me not to be upset, the only way that could have happened was because he won a title and he came I'm back. I'm upset. So. I'm, I'm, I'm upset that he ended. And I talked with Justin Rowan of the chase down when it happened. We were both upset, but I said, how do you leave Cleveland again and do that? Truly a, went to a bad team. And if not for a, an, an 
aberration playoff where Anthony Davis, for the first time in his life, had a jump shot, and Goran Dragic and Bam got hurt in the finals. They don't win. A, they don't want a title. It, it's just crazy that he went there to just be a bad team. Well, he's know, he I, has an uncanny ability to get out before the aging huge contracts catch up to you, whether that be Jameson or the second time around, you know, Tristan, JR, those guys, which sucks when you're the team who's left holding the bag. Even when he came back to Cleveland, like I, I thought the first most impressive thing there was that he was willing to overlook what Dan Gilbert said when he left. But when people are like, oh, look, he's going back to honor his word. It's like, no, we have Kyrie Irving and we have a pact with the devil, clearly, to win the NBA lottery every season. For for that to happen and have, you know, I mean, we bungled the Anthony Bennett one, but you had Wiggins as a trade chip. You had Kyrie there. You had space to do some stuff. It's like, all right, let's also acknowledge that this man isn't stupid. He realized the cap situation was a disaster. If he And if Dwayne's he knee was very uncertain at the time. We We did not know if he was ever going to be a player again. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as appreciative of a good narrative as the next guy, but LeBron made a decision too about just good narrative to you. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, to LeBron, I mean, anything like just the fact that people made it all about this homecoming. I was like, all right, no, he sees the writing on the wall. Like he loves Dwayne Wade. If he's leaving, he clearly doesn't believe long-term that this is a team that can still keep stringing it together. Marketing genius. We don't give LeBron enough credit. No. Marketing for him to succeed with LA, they have to win. I don't want LeBron to take a bunch of dings to his legacy. I'm a fan, of course, but he's linked himself to a group of people I hate. So it's essentially everything that happens from here on out is either a lose win or a win lose. There's Bob, no hater, hater 101. Yeah. You craft the narrative that suits you. So I, I was a LeBron fan. I didn't even mind that he won in Cleveland. It stung a little bit because I wanted him to, but I understood and I thought it, I thought it was as tough as it was for, I thought it was cool. With the Lakers, I'll be a hater. I'll be like, we got his best years. All the best years were here. And, and we, you know, he only had one in that stupid commercial he did. Didn't have a heat clip until like the very end of the video. And he fans are like, don't think we didn't notice that. Well, I'm glad that we both just uh, internalize rage. Uh, were you online or on social media when the whole tracking of him leaving Miami via the plane, via the Dan plane. Gilbert's plane, the cupcakes, remember the cupcake colors? Yes. What a time that Heat fans and Caps fans can break bread after all that happened. I know, I know, because for a long time, I told myself that I was going to root against him that first year in Miami, and I, I did low-key kind of hate you guys. Um, I don't blame you. But but the thing was, I found myself being like, no, I'm really just angry that he just didn't tell the Cavs, because I truly didn't believe after all the bad shit that had happened to Cleveland that he would lack that kind of situational awareness. Um, and maybe he didn't, maybe he just didn't give a fuck. But, uh, <laughs> in that scenario, I, I didn't believe it could happen. Cause I was like, there is no way after all these little sound bites of him talking about the drive and bringing a title to Cleveland. I'm like, there's no way I'll do him dirty on national television like this. But even as it made it to the postseason that year, I found myself, you know, kind of rooting for him. I'm like, I'm too weak. I can't even dial into the hate that I said that I felt because you guys poached Zadrunas, so cheering against LeBron meant cheering against him, and I didn't really have that much animosity towards Big Z. And then that's when he came back, I I forgave it all. But there was a part of me that's like, no, I will root against him to lose. I want I'm Team Dan Gilbert here. 
I, I don't want him to ever. <laughs> I don't want him to ever win a title. But now, in hindsight, as a man who takes pride in a guy who will be linked to the franchise and his legacy is at least arguably the greatest player of all time in the top Absolutely. two discussion. Yeah. Without those titles in Miami, you couldn't make that case. So, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, okay, this is why you don't cut off your nose to spite your face here. Uh, if <laughs> if you like the guy, you need to be okay with him doing whatever the hell he's doing when he's he's out of there. So. Very wise words. Okay, well, we got a big matchup. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I am super appreciative of you coming on, and uh, I'm sure we're going to talk more in the future because I've had a a great time. And for all of uh, my listeners, be sure to check out the Miami Heat Beat podcast, promo review, promo rating, uh, give them a listen, and uh, we'll have more on the Fear the Fro podcast. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.